Starting around 2015, folks at the Occupational Safety and Health Administration started to hear complaints about things going on at the psychiatric hospital located in Pembroke, Massachusetts. It was run by a company called UHS of Westwood, Pembroke. And the complaints were that inpatients in the psychiatric hospital were violently attacking members of the hospital staff. OSHA conducted an inspection and issued a citation under the general duty clause of the Occupational Safety and Health Act. The citation was also issued to a separate company, a management company named UHS of Delaware. An administrative law judge hearing the matter upheld the citation against UHS Pembroke, but it dismissed the matter as against UHS Delaware, the management company, on the belief that they did not form a single employer under the single employer doctrine. This went up to the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission and the Review Commission disagreed with the administrative law judge and found that the two entities did form a single employer under the single employer doctrine. The case has now been appealed to the US Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. We'll discuss this landmark case and what it means for the employer community. I'm Manish Rath and this is the December 21, 2022 episode of the OSHA 3030. Welcome everyone to the OSHA 3030. I'm Manish Rath. I'm an attorney at the law firm Keller and Heckman right here in Washington, DC. And I have represented employers in the field of occupational safety and health law for just about all of my 26 or more years of practice. And I'm very fortunate today because I'm joined by my dear friend and my colleague here at Keller and Heckman, Taylor Johnson. Taylor, welcome to the OSHA 3030. Thanks for having me, Manish. It's a, it's a pleasure as always. Yeah, and we have a good topic. But this is a topic we've covered in a prior episode of the OSHA 3030, back when it was uh, a decision issued before it, it got appealed to the Third Circuit. And now right. we're covering the appeal itself. So we're going to have another episode someday in the future when the Third Circuit issues an opinion on this, perhaps in May or June. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and so because I think this is of, of such importance to the employer community. So Taylor, why don't we get right into it and talk about what we're going to talk about today? Sure. Uh, so we're going to start with just reviewing uh, the corporate structure uh, of UHS, Universal Health Services. Um, it's going to be really important to kind of understand and, you know, the layers to that structure as we go through the case. Um, and then we're going to get into the background of the investigation and then the subsequent citation. Yeah, I think that's a good way to start. And then we'll analyze the Review Commission's decision. And most importantly, we're going to talk about what the two parties, UHS and uh, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, argued in their briefs to the Third Circuit so that we can understand uh, how, how both of them uh, believe this case should come out at the Third Circuit. Right, and then we'll discuss the, the single employer doctrine. I, you know, really break that down. That's sort of the key issue here in the case. Um, and then as always, uh, we'll wrap up with practical tech, uh, takeaway action items uh, for employers to, to bring back to their workplace. Right, and Taylor, as you know, this is a live webinar that we record and publish as a podcast. And so for the live audience here on December 21, 2022, we will turn off all the recordings after the program is done and stick around and go off the record. People can use the question and answer function 
and, and uh, post any questions they want. We've had a couple that have been pre-submitted. We'll take a look at those and answer any questions remaining from the live audience uh, in the off the record section. Again, only for the live audience, for the podcast and for republishing it on YouTube, that section will not be included uh, because it's supposed to just be an informal chat amongst community members here at the OSHA 3030. Uh, so with that said, let's get into it. Corporate structure at UHS, Taylor? Yeah, so Universal Health Services, UHS, uh, owns both Westford Pembroke Hospital and UHS of, of Delaware Incorporated. And then below UHS of Westford Pembroke, they own and operate three entities, Pembroke Hospital, Westwood Lodge, and then the Lowell Treatment Center. And while each facility is located at a separate address, uh, collectively, the, the sites share a license and, and, and we're a single business entity. And then, Monish, there's you know, UHS of Delaware, which, which essentially serves as a management company. Yeah, that's important, Taylor, because this management company is a third party, completely separately incorporated entity. And what it's basically doing is it's hiring a lot of the staff and leasing them back out to, to these right. other two entities. And it's handling a lot of the management functions on a fee basis. Why is that important? Because this fee basis management services is something that, that establishes that they are arm's length distinct entities, even though they are going to be working cooperatively together. Of course, there's, there's some common interest and common elements of ownership. But so I don't mean to imply otherwise in use of the term arm's length, but merely that on the exchange of fees for this management service, that would be in that regard, similar to other uh, truly distant and, un and fully unrelated management services companies. So an interesting setup, and, but not at all uncommon. And many of our clients have right. not only incorporated subsidiaries, but they, they've also incorporated a, another subsidiary who handles management services or employment services for, for some of the other subsidiaries. That is a very common method of organizing a, an umbrella corporate entity. And it's also uh, common to, to separately incorporate entities by state as well, particularly in enterprises that are in state-regulated sort of activities. So OSHA conducts an investigation on the basis of these complaints that it's been receiving. Several instances where patients have attacked staff members, some of them rather severe acts of violence. Exactly. 32 injuries uh, were attributable to patient violence during the two years before the citation. So there were inspections that occurred in, in 2015, 2016, new complaints in 2017. OSHA had actually previously inspected Pembroke Hospital before this uh, citation that's the subject of today's case. Letter was issued with potential abatements, but no specific action was taken. No citation was issued, and, and the general duty clause was not involved at that time. But then OSHA did issue a citation under the general duty clause uh, to UHS Pembroke and, importantly, UHS Delaware. Right. And uh, there was a, a, a couple of complaints, another complaint on March 27th, 2017. Uh, this, this idea that there was a citation previously issued under the general duty clause at UHS's Lowell Treatment Center is uh, one of the facts that the parties debate as to whether it's relevant. And indeed, OSHA amended its citation to call it a repeat on the basis of that Lowell Treatment Center citation earlier, although the forms of abatement that it recommended were not overlapping uh, significantly. There were, there were a completely different set of uh, abatement proposals in each case. And, and as you know, these acts of patient violence are oftentimes 
inherently unpredictable and sometimes inherently unique on a per patient basis. So, so they issued a citation under the general duty clause. Taylor, we've talked about the general duty clause in many episodes of the OSHA 3030, but I think it's helpful for, for the members of the OSHA 3030 community attending this program if we just walk them through real quickly the, an overview of what that, that means. Sure. Um, so in, in order to prove a violation of the general duty clause, there, there are four key elements that we always talk about. The first is that a hazard existed. Important to start, by the way, that the, the secretaries of OSHA must prove that these four elements existed. The burden falls on them. One, that a hazard existed. Two, that the employer knew of the hazard. Three, that the hazard caused death or serious harm. And then four, that a feasible means of abatement existed. And so those are sort of the four elements that we go through when we talk about the general duty clause. Right. And, and to clarify, not that it caused death or serious harm, but that it was a kind of hazard that is capable of causing death or serious right. harm. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think those four elements, it's also important to remember that OSHA has to prove all of those four elements. And if they they can establish really concretely three of them, but fail to establish a fourth one, then they have failed to establish a general duty clause. It is, in that sense, a harder type of citation for OSHA to establish than to prove a violation of a specific prom duly promulgated OSHA standard. And so this idea that knowledge of a hazard is something that OSHA has to establish really goes to the idea that either that specific hazard or that that type of hazard was either known by that employer or was generally recognized by the industry in which that employer uh, sits is, is the multiple ways in which uh, OSHA can prove that element. So, so we have a citation under the general duty clause and OSHA brings it not only against UHS Pembroke, but also against the management company, UHS Delaware. Why did they think that they could bring a case against the management company? What were the, the two or three facts that they alleged that suggest that they thought that this was appropriate? Sure. And so, so the first one, and this is heavily debated sort of at each stage in this case, is whether or not UHS Delaware and UHS Pembroke shared a common worksite. But OSHA and then the ALJ eventually, um, as we'll get to, sort of agrees that that this this is the case, that, that they do share a common worksite. UHS sort of pushes back on this, arguing that, you know, th that the worksite, worksite may be shared, but that their employees were not exposed to a common hazard, so that the the hazards that the the employees at UHS Pembroke were being exposed to were not the same. Was not being exposed to uh, the UHS Delaware employees, and so so that's the sort of the, the first step to um, share a common worksite. OSHA also says that operations were sort of interrelated and, and integrated between UHS Pembroke and UHS Delaware, and then um, the third one is sharing a common uh, president, a uh, management, or or uh, supervision or ownership. Yeah, and that disjunctive or means that OSHA can establish that there is a common leadership or a common management or a common supervision or a common ownership to show interrelatedness. I think that this is uh, an interesting set of elements for establishing that two incorporated entities may actually be a single employer for the purpose of compliance with OSHA standards. This idea that they share a common work site. UHS, as you say, stated, pushed back, and they, and they pointed to a decision from the U.S. Court of Appeals in the First Circuit. A.C. Castle was the name of the case, and in that case, the First Circuit Court of Appeals said that, that the agency has to establish that the two entities share a common work site, which requires, as part of that showing, that there was a consideration of not only the location, 
but also where the, the common location where employees from both entities worked, but also that the employees from both entities were both exposed to a common worksite hazard, the worksite hazard being alleged in the general duty clause. And that AC Castle case is really going to form the basis of the test for the Third Circuit, whether or not they want to adopt the First Circuit decision or create a circuit court split uh, on this question is, is really one of the central issues before the Third Circuit in this matter. I think it uh, makes it of incredible value and importance to the employer community. And frankly, anytime you see a circuit split, it's exceptionally rare and it's, it's of great import to employers. Okay, so Pembroke, UHS Pembroke and UHS Delaware argued that they have different work sites. Uh, UHS Delaware is headquartered in Delaware and Pembroke is in, the, in Pembroke, Massachusetts, and that no UHS Delaware employees were exposed to the hazard. So there's a couple of employees, at least, at the Pembroke, Massachusetts worksite who were actually formally employed by UHS Delaware. And that's important because they, they do share a common establishment in that sense, that there are at least a couple of employees. The, the manager of the facility is formally employed by UHS Delaware, even though he's working at UHS Pembroke, and one other employee at least. So they do work at the same establishment as employees of UHS Pembroke. However, as UHS argues, those Delaware employees were not exposed to any of the alleged hazards in this case. They were in a completely different part of the establishment and didn't share the work site where the hazard occurred. For example, patient treatment rooms or their residential rooms. That's right. And, and the ALJ accepts this argument by UHS and, and concludes on this point that the two entities did not share a common workplace. Then moving on to sort of the second prong of the analysis, the ALJ finds that although UHS Delaware and UHS Pembroke were sort of had related businesses, they were, they were d- distinct. That, you know, sort of one in patient care, obviously, uh, that being Pembroke. And then the other one, Delaware, being in management and consulting, that the sort of the distinction between those two, uh, the ALJ found was enough to, to say that they did not meet the sort of relatedness, you know, co-mingled prong, uh, you know, the second prong of the analysis. Right. And finally, the administrative law judge found that there wasn't any daily oversight by UHS Delaware, although one of their staff, uh, one of their formerly employed staff was the manager of the Pembroke facility. That wasn't a case of UHS Delaware managing UHS Pembroke. Uh, it was a leased employee who was sent over for the purpose of working for UHS Pembroke. And they maintained these two entities, their own management structure and separate corporate leadership. So now this comes to the Review Commission under the Single Employer Doctrine. And the Review Commission disagrees almost across the board, Taylor, with uh, the administrative law judge. That's exactly right. They do um, on every prong. So starting with the first one, the common work site, the Review Commission finds that the Delaware employees were, were sort of on site on a daily basis at the Pembroke facility, and that that was enough to meet the common work site prong, that, that mutual access to a hazard in, in the eyes of the Review Commission is not a prerequisite to, to fulfilling this, this common work site prong of the analysis. Right. And they found that the, the direct supervision element was met when OSHA established evidence that UHS Delaware's staff provided uh, policy development and managed the finances, et cetera. They also found that on that third prong that Pembroke's CEO and CFO, these two employees I was referring to, who were formerly employed by UHS Delaware and located at UHS Pembroke, were were integrally integrally involved in the day-to-day management of that establishment in Pembroke. Well, 
as I said before, I, the way I saw that was that they were formally employed by UHS Delaware, but they were essentially leased to UHS Pembroke or assigned over there to serve UHS Pembroke, not to serve as an agent of US, UHS Delaware. That difference, I hope, is the difference that's getting tested by the Third Circuit. So next, uh, just one you know part of the case, just to unpack here further, is just the the characterization of the of the citation. So at the ALJ level, the ALJ actually finds that the citation was not a repeat citation. He sort of unpacks the differences between um, the prior citation that happened at the Lowell facility and then the citation that occurred that was handed out in relation to conduct at the Pembroke facility. But the review commission also disagrees with this aspect of the case, um, affirms the citation as a repeat essentially says that, you know, the, the incidents at Pembroke and Lowell uh, involved employees exposed to almost uh, an identical hazard. And so that's why they, they re-sort of established the citation as, as serious or as repeat. Yeah, this is interesting. And it, so in, in regards to the question of whether it's a repeat, you see the Review Commission disagreeing with the administrative law judge, not just on the question of the single employer test or any of the three elements. They seem to have disagreed with the administrative law judge on all of them. This commission now is currently composed, and this opinion was written by a two-person right. review commission. A fully staffed review commission would be three commissioners. Right now, one seat's vacant. This was an opinion penned by two commissioners who were appointed by opposing parties, Commissioner Lehau, who has been a guest here on the OSHA 3030 in the past, as was one of her predecessors, Commissioner Sullivan, and the other is Commissioner Atwood, who is a long-serving and very thoughtful Commissioner for the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, uh, who we would love to have as a guest maybe someday in the future. And, and they, they seem to have agreed on all of these elements and collectively agreed to disagree with the administrative law judge. So now this has been appealed to the Third Circuit, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. And UHS Delaware and UHS Pembroke have, have uh, appealed the Review Commission decision saying this idea that, that these two entities that have carefully maintained their separateness should be treated as a single employer for the purpose of OSHA citations would constitute a, a dramatic shift in the existing law. They are relying on the decision in AC Castle, for example, decided in the First Circuit. And they believe that it's, it's one thing for the courts to grant agency deference to the commission or to OSHA. That, that's something that, that we recognize as a established principle of legislative interpretation that and that I'm sorry the regulatory interpretation in this case that a an agency should be granted deference however UHS argues that deference should not be granted when it constitutes a dramatic shift in existing law and that shift is arbitrary and capricious as UHS asserts is the case here OSHA by contrast has argued that the uh, review commission is following existing doctrine and that fundamentally the, the divide Taylor seems to, to be drawn on whether or not a common establishment or a common worksite doctrine includes the definition of uh, a common hazard at that worksite that, it, that both entities employees are exposed to. Right, exactly. You know, whether or not that exposure element uh, needs to be shared amongst the, the you know, the, the entity of uh, the employees of the two entities, I think is really going to be interesting to see where the Third Circuit comes down here. And and also, you know, so they're going to rule on that issue as well, which is what we're all waiting to, you know, to see what happens with the single employer issue. And then also, you know, as, as we mentioned, the characteriz uh, characterization of the citation will also be something that the, that the Third Circuit will rule on whether or not 
this this uh, citation that happened uh, at the Lowell facility is, is sort of related enough uh, to, to what happened at Pembroke's to where this could be a repeat citation. So that's another uh, sort of issue that will that'll be interesting to see where the where the Third Circuit comes down. Yeah, Taylor, that's really an outgrowth of the single employer entity doctrine too, when you think about it, because right. the Lowell Treatment Center was incorporated separately from the Pembroke Hospital. And so to treat the citation against one as the predicate for a repeat citation to the second entity really requires that you treat them as a single employer in a sense. So, so another interesting manifestation of you know, the yeah. impact of the single employer doctrine is, is not only whether you can cite two entities, a management company and a uh, independently operating uh, sister subsidiary, but also whether or not two separate incorporated subsidiaries can be treated as one. We, we handled another case at the issue 3030 involving Loretto Oswego, which is another series of healthcare facilities up in upstate New York. And that case was discussed here in this opinion and will form a part of the discussion, I think, with the Third Circuit as to what the established uh, doctrine of law that the agency and the Review Commission have had, had been operating under uh, all this time. So that's the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. What should employers do in light of the, the UHS case? Well, right now it's being appealed. So I think the first thing to say is, is to watch. Watch this channel. We'll cover the decision when it gets issued by the Third Circuit and to keep an eye on this case. Yeah, absolutely. And and the next one that kind of, you know, really jumped off to us here is, is OSHA's failure to issue a citation in a prior inspection may not be an effective defense if, if, you're, if you're cited again. You see uh, UHS try to make this argument before the ALJ that OSHA had already been out to the facility, had already inspected it uh, based on complaints of, you know, patient aggression, and they chose not to issue a citation. And so they, they, they tried to lean on that in their defense, and then the ALJ dismisses that as sort of not being an effective, you know, defense that you can make. And just because you weren't cited before for something doesn't mean that you can't be cited for it down the road. Right. But, you know, there is something inherently uh, unique about each case of uh, patient violence against staff. Sure. Every patient case is different. And so I think that their point was well taken, that the suggestions that were offered in the past by OSHA, the, many of which UHS embraced and implemented, also forms a defense that, you know, if the last time you came, you made these following suggestions, some of which work, some of them don't, but we, we uh, implemented some of them, we thought it would work, that that is not only proof that, that this is not well suited for the general duty clause, because it requires that there be generally accepted hazards, but also it's, it's proof that OSHA didn't have any clear recipe for how to eliminate workplace uh, inpatient violence in the healthcare setting, in the psychiatric in, inpatient setting. So another, I think, takeaway item from this case is that citations that are issued to uh, sister subsidiaries or related entities, theoretically, OSHA has taken the position that it could lead to classifying a subsequent citation as a repeat. Again, there seems to be a number of decisions that have gone in different directions and they're fact dependent. So this, this case will ultimately, hopefully, shed more light or clarity on what employer, how employers should treat that question. Right. The next is that control by a management company over day-to-day -day operations, uh, over finances, can certainly lead to a single employer determination. I know we'll see again where the Third Circuit ultimately comes out on this, uh, but you see the Review Commission looking at these facts that the management company 
had this sort of day-to-day control over what went on in the facility and finances and found that to be enough to, to link the entities as a single employer for purposes of, of assigning liability. I think another uh, takeaway item from this case is that management companies' employees should be contractually delineated as to what their duties are and that it should contractually state that these management company employees are being leased out to the other subsidiary to serve the other subsidiary, not the management company. Right. Another is that a management company should have defined powers uh, with respect to operational decisions. So, you know, we didn't exactly see this happen in in the facts of this case, uh, which may have been one of the reasons why, you know, the review commission decided the way that it did that, you know, clearly, you know, sort of boxed in powers, clearly defined roles, if they will have, uh, you know, control over operational decisions can certainly help make the argument that these are two, you know, distinct entities. And that middle uh, element for the single employer test uh, about common policies really indicates to me the value of taking these system-wide procedures for safety and health and republishing them at the entity level so that they all have their own distinct versions of safety procedures so that they can't, this one document that's shared across all entities can't be used against one of the subsidiaries. Okay, well, that, those are some of the takeaway items, but I think the, the chief takeaway item here is to keep an eye out on this case and see how the Third Circuit decides it. We think we think that we'll see a decision sometime between now and June, and we'll cover it again in another episode of the OSHA 3030, because this idea of multiple sister subsidiaries being treated as one in, in defiance of the uh, corporate purpose of separately incorporating them is one of incredible significance to the employer community. With that said, that's the OSHA 3030. Remember, all of our prior episodes, and we've been doing this for almost 10 years, are on our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. There's easily 110 episodes, all of which are still relevant to this day. So check them out and uh, poke through the library and find some old episodes, play them on your YouTube player, I believe, is how they're linked through, or, or the, and they're self-executing videos and, and audio. Uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, again in another month. The OSHA 3030, in the meantime, is available. This episode will be published on YouTube. Both Taylor Johnson and I are on LinkedIn. I hope you send us invitations to LinkedIn so that we can stay in touch. Please remember to, to forward an invitation to the next OSHA 3030 to at least three other people, in-house counsel and safety and health professionals at your organization or at other organizations so that we can keep the program alive. And this program will also be on podcast. Remember to subscribe. And also, if you can, uh, rate or like the podcast so that others can find it more easily. Our next episode will come back again at 1 p.m. Eastern time on January 25th, 2023. Always at 1 p.m. Eastern and always on a Wednesday. Uh, We look forward to seeing you then. Our sister programs, the Tosca 3030, Reach 3030, are coming back in January on the 11th and February the 8th, respectively. Uh, So please stay tuned if your organization is responsible for compliance with those statutes. Until we see you again next month, please stick around for the off the record section if if you have another few minutes. And until we see you again next month, on behalf of Keller and Heckman and my colleague Taylor Johnson and myself, thank you all for attending this OSHA 3030. And until next month, Stay safe.